This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is coming along to 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharmila. First up, uh, Indonesia passed a new criminal code that included outlawing sex outside marriage, cohabitation, as well as criminalizing insults to the office of the president and state institutions. It's quite a sweeping law. Uh, we talk about whether this is a political move or a sign of growing conservatism. Now, just bear with us. I think we're going to try to explain this as clearly as possible because there are a number of different facets it's involved. Yeah, so this was passed yesterday by Indonesia's parliament and uh, to be clear, it's a criminal code um, and can carry punishments up to one year in jail. And this applies on paper to both Indonesians and foreigners alike. Um, and for instance, it will also prohibit unmarried couples from living together. Um, and the new laws are also restoring a ban on insulting the president, state institutions, or Indonesia's national ideology, which is known as the Panchasila. Um, and it was passed, um, interestingly, with the support of all political parties in Indonesia's parliament, uh, with legislators uh, actually praising the vote as a um, as part of a decades-long effort to replace old Dutch colonial laws um, with something that is more local and and tuned to local sensibilities is is what a lot of them are praising. Um, Critics, of course, are calling it uh, a disaster for human rights. Um, And they're pointing out that not only does it victimize people for their personal private choices, um, that it can also potentially harm tourism as well as investment in the country. So this is not happening in isolation, right? Uh, Because... Many people have pointed out that these new laws are also set to come after a rise in religious conservatism that has been observed in Indonesia in recent years um, and can therefore be used to police morality in what is the world's largest Muslim-majority country. Uh, The code will take effect in three years. This is to allow for implementation regulations to be drafted. At the moment, if you look at what the law does ban, uh, Indonesia bans adultery but not premarital sex. Uh, Some other things that were included like I said, very wide ranging, quite sweeping. Um, Black magic, that sounds quite familiar. We've talked about this recently in relation to a state here in our country, um, as well as staging protests without notification. Now, Sharmila, you mentioned tourism earlier and uh, Maulana Yusran, who is the Deputy Chief of Indonesia's Tourism Board, said that This new bill was totally counterproductive at a time when the economy and tourism were just starting to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic, adding that hotels or any other accommodation facilities are second homes for tourists. But with the new codes, these places are now going to be seen as problematic. Um, And of course, I think if you think about Indonesia and you think about couples in particular, perhaps one island is going to stand out among the rest. (laughs) And so if you look at Bali, for instance, uh, foreign arrivals there are expected to reach pre-pandemic levels of 6 million by 2025 as they recover from the impact of COVID-19. 2025 is significant because again, this code, this new code Mm. will take effect in three years, which is exactly when uh, it's it's going to kind of coincide at the same time. So just to 
just to be really clear about this, right, because the law outlaws um, unmarried couples from cohabiting, the fear here, of course, is that, um, you know, what is going to happen in hotels? What about tourists who may not be married? What about um, opposite sex couples who come in for a holiday and need to book a hotel room? So these are some of the questions being asked. Of course, um, this shouldn't be perceived as just a tourism problem yeah. because it is also a morality judgment that's being imposed by the law on Indonesians as well as foreigners alike. So some of the um, rationale being applied by people who are supporters of the law are saying, for instance, oh, this can only um, uh, this can only be reported by limited parties, so uh, such as parents, a spouse or a child, thereby it's not going to affect foreigners or tourists. But I think that's a slippery slope, right? Because once you have morality laws in place, um, the net for how it can be applied can always be widened. So your point about a rising conservatism, I think, is really the thing to be uh, to keep an eye on. There, I mean, we haven't yet seen how it's going to be implemented or what the regulations are around this, right? And and I bring that up at this moment just to say that even though you can argue that, look, you have to be a local and it has to be your parent or it has to be your spouse who's actually making the report, I think the question of how quickly and stringently these rules will be applied, how much investigation is there going to be about who launched, who launched a report against me? For example, mm. I, how are you going to check that it is, in fact, my my mother or my husband or my child, you know? Um, and then following on from that, what happens next? And again, I think it's very important, and I'm glad you said it, that we shouldn't make it a problem of tourists because... Um, of course, it's concerning. And of course, it's concerning for people who plan to visit. It's obviously concerning for a country for whom tourism uh, is, is an important pillar of the economy. But realistically, as we've seen, whenever morality laws come into place, the people who are targeted disproportionately tend to be people from vulnerable communities. They more often than not tend to be women. I think it is worth saying at this point that the timing of the passing of this law is also very important because uh, President Joko Widodo has actually urged Parliament to pass the bill this year. Um, presidential elections are actually scheduled for early 2024. So there are lots of um, lots of people pointing out also that this is a politically motivated move uh, used to shore up support for the president who's often in his tenure been viewed as being more liberal, more progressive. So in a way, shoring up a particular kind of support. So there's that layer as well. So we are going to be joined shortly by Andreas Harsono, Senior Researcher at Human Rights Watch. We'd like to hear from you, though, with this rather sweeping uh, criminal code that's being that has been passed in Indonesia that, again, includes outlawing sex outside marriage, cohabitation, um, criminalizing insults to the office of the president and state institutions. Does this change the way you think about Indonesia? Will it affect whether you plan to travel there? You can call 7733-2900, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Bring forth Moolah, BFM 89.9. It is 5.17 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharmila. Uh, we are talking today about a new criminal code that was passed in Indonesia, which included outlawing sex outside marriage, cohabitation, and of course, criminalizing insults to the office of the president and state institutions, among other issues. Uh, we have been asking you, does this change the way you think about Indonesia? Will it affect, for example, whether you plan to travel there? You can call 7733 
1-800-800-1800. Send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, joining us now is Andreas Harsono, Senior Researcher from Human Rights Watch. Um, Andreas, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. So, it's been reported that President Jokowi has been a champion of this set of legislative reforms, which some see as having negative human rights and economic impact. Um, how long has this law been in the making and what is Jokowi's interest in having this passed? The idea, quote-unquote, to offer how this criminal court had been going on for decades in 1963, it was the first time the parliament raised the idea to change the Dutch inherited criminal code. It did not happen until 2019, three years ago. It was almost passed, September 2019. But there were massive street protests. 33 provincial capitals plus Jakarta did the protests hundreds of thousands, if not millions, mostly students, NGOs, indigenous people, women's rights group, they were protesting against the criminal code. One day before it was scheduled to be voted, President Jokowi asked for a delay because of the protests. Fast forward, December 2022. The pandemic was two years. It was not debated. But over the last one year, President Jokowi ordered the socialization of this criminal code. And it went very fast. I got this draft only on a Friday. And then on Tuesday, the next Tuesday, it was passed. 622 articles, many of them will violate women's rights, LGBT rights, religious minorities, as well as freedom of expressions and freedom of association. If we look at uh, what where this is, I think, within the political landscape, in September, the president's approval ratings reportedly dropped over fuel price hikes. Do you see this, or rather his role in pushing this forward as a move to potentially help his approval ratings? Uh, President Jokowi himself did not speak about this particular criminal code. It was more his ministers, deputy minister, his police chief, and some parliament members, uh, parliamentarian leaders. He himself keeps mum about this particular law until now. Although Mm. last week he received some of his cabinet members who reported that the law was ready. He reportedly agreed to be brought to the parliament as the head of the ruling coalition. If he agreed, the law will pass. And it passed yesterday. Is this a sign of growing conservatism in Indonesian society? Yes, yes, and yes. And where... And, and I suppose the, the next question there is really, if you could help us contextualize it um, in, in that, because we spoke earlier about how there have been, there have been moments um, in the past of this issue of conservatism kind of rising to the forefront in Indonesian headlines. So where, where can we situate this among that? 
it basically began after the fall of President Suharto, uh, the beginning of the so-called reformasi era in Indonesia. Then there was a drive to decentralize governance in Indonesia. And when the local government law was passed, then there were ordinances made in the name of religion that violate women's rights, girl rights, LGBT rights, as well as, as, well as religious minorities. Now, over the last two decades, there are more than 700, more than 700 of this discriminatory regulation. Human Rights was my organization, as well as many other rights groups, women's rights groups, LGBT groups, NGOs, union, journalist union, had been calling on uh, national, local government to revoke this 700-something regulation. They ignore us. So this criminal court was passed 24 hours earlier with that kind of background, with that kind of atmosphere. That's why when I ask you, is Indonesia becoming more and more conservative? Yes, we already have 700 discriminatory regulation. Now, the culmination is the criminal code. So while there have been student-led protests over this law and there are expectations that the law will be challenged in court, it was passed without opposition in parliament. So who is likely then to challenge this law and will it actually get political support? Uh, there are already civil society organizations who plan to challenge the law at the constitutional court. We do not know how they will proceed because, you know, it's only 24 hours after it was passed. But I'm sure there are already groups that are planning, uh, collecting funding, uh, organizing signature to challenge the law. Although... I have to say that the court, both the Supreme Court and the Constitutional Court are relatively conservative themselves. The only mechanism, in my opinion, is to do a lot of political pressure, especially overseas. Next week, President Jokowi will travel to Europe, meeting many European Union leaders and also European countries' leaders, uh, businesses, European leaders, Chamber of Commerce, many industries, should talk about how damaging this criminal code against Indonesia, you know, investment climate, foreign investment, and many other things. And some of them already talk about it. The U.S. ambassador, a few hours after the law was passed, immediately said that it will affect foreign investment in Indonesia. Now, with regard to the criminalization of sexual liberties, Justice Ministry officials have said that there will be little impact on visitors since only family members can lodge police reports. But uh, I, And I think that's something we want to explore later. But what about Indonesians themselves? Where do you think the impact of these laws will be most acutely felt? Well, don't get me wrong. Uh, the adultery or the cohabitation article will not, will not be broadly enforce. It is impossible. There are millions of people who live together without legal marriage certificate. Indigenous people or Nikasiri uh, under Islamic custom or people because of bureaucratic matters or religious minorities whose religion are not recognized by high 
Kejawen, Sunda Vivitan, Kaharingan, Parmalim, many of them cannot marry legally. Millions of Indonesians do not have marriage certificate. So they won't be affected because this law cannot be enforced broadly. But it could be enforced selectively, selective enforcement. And this is the problem because it might make some officer to extort bribes. It makes some hotel to make regular payment to protect their businesses. So this is the problem of this law. It is toxic. It is only going to be enforced selectively. Politicians who want to jail their opponents, officials who want to punish their critics, netizens, journalists, that is the toxic impact of this law. And to extend that further, um, of course, the headlines coming out of this are continuing to suggest that tourists are at equal risk of running afoul of this law. Is this true? And, you know, given that tourism is about 5% of Indonesia's GDP, what impact will this have on the tourism sector that is still recovering from the pandemic as well? Uh, in, in general, I don't think tourists will be affected because adultery, for instance, the so-called adultery article, it could only happen if a parent, a spouse, or a child report the so-called suspect to the police. Let's say, well, you know, most of most of our parents will not report young men, young women who travel to Bali or to Jakarta because it is ridiculous to report their own children to the police. But that is the problem because some parents, certain parents might not be happy with their daughter, boyfriend, or their son, girlfriend. They want to break up, but the children refuse. Then this law is going to be a political weapon. It can be used to report your daughter, boyfriend to the police in Indonesia or vice versa or your spouse, uh, you are not happy with your estranged marriage and you want to revenge against your spouse's new partner, then this is the political weapon that you, you can use. Andreas, thank you so much for speaking with us on this today. Thank you. That was Andreas Harsono, senior researcher from Human Rights Watch, explaining um, or helping us contextualize and understand Indonesia's new criminal code. Uh, we'd like to hear from you on this. Let us know your thoughts. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.